grief can be lonely and isolating, especially for those experiencing pregnancy and infant loss. At times, it may even feel as if the sorrow might consume you. Welcome to the Birthies Loss Support Podcast. Join me, your host, Michelle Smith, as I hold a much-needed space for grief, remembrance, and the journey of healing through conversations with grief and trauma experts, the sharing of stories of loss and love, as well as guided meditations. Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful you are here. Today I have a very special interview. Nydia will be sharing with us her heartfelt and open story of working through the loss of her son. Welcome, Nydia. I'm so honored and happy to have you here with me today. Thank you. The honor is mine. So can you share your story and your journey with your son, please? Yes. So Santiago, I got pregnant in the fall of 2013, and he was my first son very excited Uh, actually we announced his arrival i remember on december 24th of that year and we had the family together and i remember very well everybody got so excited i have been married at the time almost seven years so you can imagine my husband being only child and finally announcing his getting getting pregnant he got pregnant so everybody was so happy I can tell you that since the first day I felt Santiago, which is crazy because I I knew when exactly I got pregnant. You you can feel it as if anybody listening to me and had a baby, you know that you can feel the minute you get pregnant. So I knew exactly that, you know, he was coming and I knew, don't ask me how, but I knew somehow intuitively that he was going to be a boy, which is what I've always wanted. And Santiago, I can say, was a perfect baby in my belly. I had a very healthy pregnancy. Thank God for that. We didn't have to struggle getting pregnant, which I think that's a blessing. And I don't take it for granted. And the entire nine months, you know, I just felt in bliss. I mean, literally, I'm remembering every every single month and visit to the doctor was just what was going to be a perfect birth. I was 33 at the time, so not even, you know, what we consider now high risk when you pass 35. So that was not in question. I got the, you know, one of the best care that you can have. My doctors were really great. Midwives, you can name, you, you name it. So I remember feeling very joyful um, up until I was probably eight months. And the reason why I'm giving you a specific time frame is because my older sister, who has been struggling at the time with cancer for quite a long time, passed away when I was eight months pregnant. And so that's when everything in my energetically, in my, you know, state of wellness right well-being just shifted and at eight 
almost eight and a half months, she passed away. I knew she was going to die young, but I definitely thought that she was going to meet Santiago. In fact, Santiago was one of the things that she was looking forward, right? She, I think she was hoping to be a mom and that never happened. And she was just made peace with the fact that she was not going to have a baby because she had been taking her ovaries, part of her treatment. And when she found out I was pregnant and then it was a boy, I think she felt that it was very much her own. So, you know, we shared that joy throughout all the, the months that I, ha I was pregnant. And when the time came and she actually passed away, I couldn't believe it. I was in total shock. And of course, I was at that time, you've been told not, not to travel, but, you know, I had to. I had to go to my sister's funeral. So I actually did. And she lived in Puerto Rico. You know, I had to be there. When I come back from that trip, I struggled a lot because in my mind, it's, I cannot be happy because I am so sad that my, I lost my sister, my older sister, which I was, whom I was very close to. We were five years apart and she, I was the baby for her and she played with me. She was my teacher. She was my confidant. And I just kept thinking over and over, um, my, the best day of my life is coming yet, you know, I have this sadness. So when I was getting closer to my 39 weeks, uh, specifically 39 weeks and three days, I had a placenta abruption and it was, um, full. It was sometimes it could be partial and sometimes you can save the baby, but in this case, that didn't happen. So I ended up having to have a emergency C-section that turned into a four-hour long surgery to save my life. And I can tell you, you know, I had no way of knowing something like this would ever happen to me. But I can tell you that Santiago, from the day I felt him in my belly, he was a blessing. And that's how I want to remember him. And you're right, you're a sweet boy. Yes. It's a blessing. Yes. yes. <laughs> so if you're able to, can you explain what a placental abruption is for our listeners that don't know? Yes. yes. <laughs> so that's a great question because I had no idea what that was either. When you Google that, it's basically your, literally your placenta breaking uh, you know, it's just the what's connecting the mom with the baby, right? And the placenta is the part in your body that feeds the baby, that provides oxygen and basically the lifeblood of you of your baby, you and your baby. And that was completely detached. I don't know how that happened. They don't know either. It's about 1% chance of that ever happening. So I guess I was part of that. 1%. And um, if you Google the possible cause of that, it says, well, if you had had an accident or you were somebody beat you, you know, or you had a maybe a food poisoning and or had a stomach uh, virus or something that has related with di digestion or if you had preeclampsia, or you were over like a high-risk pregnancy, many things that 
none of them apply to me. <laughs> so to this day, I've met, obviously after that, we met with the hospital, with the doctors that were treating me and they don't know how or why this happened. So there's really no explanation for why placenta will abrupt. But the fact of the matter was that the baby basically didn't suffer because it was just out of instantly. The minute that the placenta was detached, there was no more oxygen. So that's how the baby actually died, you know, inside. So he was a stillborn. So that's what the placenta abrupt is supposed to be. Uh, I think uh, from what I heard from doctors is that I had been bleeding for quite a long time inside internally, but I had no way of knowing. And I did get some cramps, but I felt like as if maybe there were contractions and they started very mild. And at the time I was actually getting a prenatal massage, which is interesting. And then because it was very soft. So I was actually kind of relaxed, not stressed at all. Obviously the stress was in my mind, right? In my heart, but not, not in a physical or stressful situation, not at all. But apparently that pain that I was feeling, it was from internal bleeding. When I went to the doctor that day, ironically, a, an office that is always full of people because there's probably like over 10 doctors that rotate and maybe like 10 midwives. And you know when you go to those TJ Maxx or Marshall cashiers where, and they say next and you have like 10 different lanes that, I mean, or cashiers that you, right, you wait for your next. So that's kind of like that, what the office looked like. So you can imagine they serve a lot of people at the same time. So when I walk in there, it was a Wednesday morning. It was July 16, 2014. And as I'm walking to the office, and I had the, the I have a choice. I had a choice to go to the hospital, to the ER, or go to my doctor. And I thought, you know, this is just normal. I'm about to give birth. I'm 39.3 weeks. So let me give it a try to the doctor and try to stay away from the hospital. So that was my choice. And I own it, you know, to this day. But... Uh, and I have for, I had to forgive myself, yeah. right? Yeah. When I showed up to that doctor office, no one was there. And it was 11 o'clock in the morning. And I remember smelling fried chicken. I thought it was, you know, your, your smells are very um, accentuated when you're pregnant. So you smell everything. So I told my mom, my mom was with me at the time. And I said, Mom, I think I smell chicken. She's like, oh, you're, you're crazy, right? And we started laughing about it. And... I said, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in pain. At that time, I could still talk right, and walk. And I said, I need to see a doctor because I don't think this pain is normal. So they said, well, everybody is in a general meeting, uh, but let me see what I can do. Let me see if I can find someone. So after like 10 minutes, nobody's showing up, and my pain is increasing from maybe 5 to like 10 within 10 minutes. And so I had a nurse coming out and she's like, well, we're going to need urine tests. And they asked me a bunch of questions. And at the time, the pain was so bad that I couldn't even respond. And I said, I don't know if I can even sit in the toilet to pee. I mean, I, I feel so right now, you know, I couldn't be at the time. So I said, well, let me try. Let me try to do my best so that because the more I cooperate, the faster they can get to what it was right? right so I 
did what I could and I went to the bathroom and then I think that of my water, it was just blood. I'm sorry to be so specific, but um, a lot of blood coming out as if my, instead of my water breaking, but it was just blood. At that moment, my mom, of course, took me out of there immediately. We went to the ER. And as I'm, you know, getting into the emergency room, they know that I'm super pregnant. And so everybody started running around and they, everybody was phenomenal there in the sense that they took care of me right away. And they put me in a, in a room. I remember it was very quite bright and cold. And I had maybe like 15 people in the room and nobody could everybody asking me questions and saying okay where is because my mom had dropped me off at the valet so she went to park so I was by myself and then they were calling the doctor that was on duty and then they brought a monitor because the first thing they wanted to know is how the baby's heart rate was doing right so after like a few minutes they were able to connect me to the monitor and then everyone in the room got quiet Mm. So that's when I knew. And I and the minute my mom dropped me off at the ER, I knew. I just knew. And just like I knew when when he when I you know when I created him, right? right. Uh, when I got pregnant, I knew the moment it happened, so I knew the moment he also left the world, this world. So a doctor came in, a doctor that I have never seen in my life before, but what is part of the group of doctors that I used to take care of me. Uh, he showed up because he's the one on duty and he just grabbed my hand and asked me who brought you here and i said well my mom did where is she and like well she's parking she's coming okay we'll wait for her to come in and i said well i cannot tell you how much pain i have right now so like i knew already and i felt like the need to ask but i didn't have the you know the courage so then i I asked, I asked the question, uh, how's the baby? And he says, well, we don't find our, our heart rates. We're doing what we can to see what, what's going on. And then um, I said, okay, whatever you do, please, I don't want to push or I don't want to have a natural birth, which is really interesting because everything I wanted till that point was to have a natural birth. But I just felt so much pain that I thought that would be like the worst nightmare if they if they had me do a natural birth under this pain, right? So I just said, please give me whatever you can so that I don't feel anything. So my mom came in and they said, finally they talked to us and they said, well, apparently somehow your placenta abrupted and the baby just ran, ran out of oxygen. And I just knew the rest. So... They put a mask on me, and I remember at the time I, f- I fought it. I fought the mask because I, I got a little bit um, claustrophobic. I don't know if that's the right mm-hmm. word, but yeah. like yeah. I, I'm like, oh, my God, get this out of my side. Like I've ne- and thank God, I have to say, I've never ever had be- to be hospitalized. So that, that was not a familiar scene for me or anything like that. So next thing I remember is waking up. And I'm in a room and everybody, my mom, my husband around me and like their eyes are like super 
spread from crying and it's probably like 10 o'clock in the evening the the rest is history but that's basically how things happen and the time frame and then I woke up and I was in intensive care for three days and then I got transferred to the maternity area how did your husband do with all of this? This must have been such a shock because he wasn't even with you. Your mom was. Correct. Yeah, so uh, so that's a um, very uh, good question. He, um, he was a mess. And I wasn't there to see it. But I, I know now because part of the process of healing is to try to put myself into his shoes because I lost my baby, but he not only lost the baby, he wasn't there, but also he almost lost me. And that part I didn't understood. I didn't connect it to that part, so I couldn't feel. I, I didn't never understood why are you having a harder time than me grieving or mm-hmm. I was judging him a lot. And that's one of my biggest lessons, that you, you can't really judge what you don't know. And so, yeah, he was a mess. He wasn't there because he had to go to Tampa that day. And he, you know, he had a hard time forgiving himself because I have told him in the morning not to go to Tampa. Oh, as wow. if I, yeah, as if I had some sort of intuitive. But there's no way. None of us know, right? The, one thing that we kept saying to each other at the time is we weren't sure of many things in life, but the one thing that we were sure is that this baby was coming and that was coming healthy because, I, like I said, I never had any red flags. In fact, my pregnancy was, I don't want to say perfect, but close to it. So we don't understand. To this day, we don't, you know, that why that we had to make peace and just... Just move forward because you don't move on. Just like I now I get emotional telling my story, but I realize that, yes, you can move forward because you have to, because you owe it to yourself. And I just wish that with my story, we can touch, if we can touch one person with it, in the sense that sharing your story is very healing, then that's it. That's all my heart wants. What helped you to move through the shock and the grief? Did you even get to see Santiago at all? I I would imagine not because they had to use general anesthesia. So did you get to say hello and goodbye to him? Did you just see pictures? So I had this image in my head and I can, I don't know if this is something I dream or if it happened. I think it happened. And I just, I was very under anesthesia and I don't remember very well. But yes, I want to say they woke me up at some point to show me the baby. And I know this because they have put a hat, a beautiful hat at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And and it was the same hat that I saw after in the pictures. Okay. So I just think, but part of me is still not, not sure, you know, if it happened. But yes, I want to say they try to walk me up and show me the baby. And one thing I have to say that after they tell me what happened, they ask the family if they wanted to take pictures of the baby and to hold the baby. 
And my husband's first reaction was, no, I don't want to hold him. Because, of course, he's heartbroken. He doesn't want it. It's so painful. But my mother-in-law had a lot of courage. And she said, I want to hold him. And she got to hold him. Oh, good. And then my mom intervened with a picture. And apparently everybody said, no, no pictures. My husband and my mom, I think. I, don't, I, I mean, I wasn't there. But right. apparently my mom said something like, you should take the picture and decide later. And I'm glad that she did that because pictures came out beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. he looked like an angel, and it's the only thing that I have real. I mean, not real, but like tangible. tangible. Correct, yeah. correct. So. Yeah, and he is beautiful. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So in this journey of your grief, can you share what was not helpful in your grieving process? Well, a lot of things were not helpful, but now I see it differently. But back then, when you have zero clarity, you're a mess, and you just wanna, you just wanna die. Some, you know, some days I just wanted to die. I mean, I'm being honest. So, what was not helpful was when I felt that I had to hide myself or keep it, tone it down. The amount of sadness or because someone was feeling uncomfortable. It was very lonely feeling that sometimes you could see the face of people when you wanted to talk about, about it. And they just don't want to go there. And I understand now. I see now why. Because they don't know, right? But back then, certain comments such as, you guys are young, you can have another one, or everything happens for a reason, and which is things that I would say to people now, <laughs> honestly, but not, not in the same situation, of course, but like positive comments that I, you know that they're well-intended, but at the time, everything is so blurred and so confused that you don't really appreciate that. Right. You're just raw. Yes. You're raw. Yes. Your grief makes you raw. And yeah, very much. Yeah, and you don't really want another baby. You want that baby. Exactly. That's your baby. Yes. Yeah. So, and I do feel like grief is a very kind of lonely and isolating experience sometimes, especially when we've lost a child. It's just people are afraid yes. to yes. look at it and talk about it. So what helped you to move through your grief? Because I know you have a very strong spiritual practice. And was that part of what helped you, do you think? It's interesting you said that. Because I remember one of my friends, when I talked to her, the first thing she said to me was, it's almost like as if you were getting ready all this time. Because she knows that I have been meditating for mm -hmm. a long time. And yes, you're right about my spiritual practice. I've, you know, I've been exploring and reading and connecting with, with my own self by inspiration from others. And, and yes, yeah, so it's almost as if I was getting ready for it. And, but obviously 
I didn't know how to <laughs> how to think about it at the time. You right. know, I was like, well, thank you. Um, I know she meant well, and I actually that's one of the things that it didn't bother me at all that she said that. I thought it was it was nice, and one of the things that helped me the most was to really talk about it and just express my feelings the way they were they were without covering up i've always been a person that i've always want to make feel people feel good mm -hmm. and i realized this was my opportunity to make myself feel good and stop worrying about what other people think or what other people approve. Because ultimately, I just have to approve of myself and love myself. So one of the things I I think saved me from you know going crazy was actually to understand and realize that I had to love myself above anything so that I can love others. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the biggest gifts that Santiago gave me just to learn how to love my, but that sounds more it's it sounds easier than than it is because you really have to break all patterns or toxic behaviors or limiting beliefs and you have to realize that yes you may feel guilty about some certain decisions because now you're implementing new boundaries right But at the same time, not always when you feel guilty doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. So that's one of the things I learned from my psychologist. He was wonderful and, and key to this, to my healing also. For example, you know, if I don't want to see someone or want to do something before, I would be like, well, you know, I'll make a, sacri a sacrifice so that they don't feel bad. But this time around was like, well, it's not that I don't care about other people feel, but it's just... I have to honor myself first. And if I don't feel comfortable around certain energies, I will honor that. And yes, I've at the beginning when you're implementing changes like that, you feel I felt a little guilty. But then my psychologist said feeling guilty does not equals doing something wrong. Hmm. It's just the process and there's going to be the time where when you're not going to feel guilty and that time actually came around. And I don't feel guilty anymore of taking care of myself. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And it's so powerful that he gave you that gift of finding yourself, setting boundaries and caring for yourself. And in that self-love and self-appreciation, you have to learn to forgive yourself too. Because I know typically when we women have incurred a loss... There's so much self-blame and so much second-guessing ourselves and asking why to be able to come through this and have a sense of greater self-love is huge. Yes. So as a parent, I think doing that work to heal and have self-acceptance and self-love that's the greatest gift that we can do for ourselves and for our children in this journey i know that you now have a little boy could you share a bit if you're willing about what that was like to walk through because i know it's fearful 
I've had a loss, I know. Then in your case, you almost lost your own life as well. So what was that like for your husband and you to even be willing to attempt to conceive and have another child? It was the scariest thing that we ever had to deal with so far. <laughs> we had to wait a year at least per our doctor's orders. or mm-hmm. And, you know, that year was, it was hell. It was a year of being angry at anybody that I could or irrationally angry. Ultimately, I was angry at myself and at life. My husband, I blame everyone. Not everybody, but I had my moments where I, now looking back, it was not, not even rational. For us as a couple, we struggle to stay together. We, you know, we seek counseling. We did everything you can think of. I went to see a shaman. I run a half marathon. Nothing, nothing would take the pain away. And it was just hell. If hell exists, <laughs> it was here on earth. At the same time, you know, by learning how to love myself and putting more and more love into my heart, that took away slowly that anger and those negative feelings and I was able to fill my heart with more love than anger and and that's how actually I turned it around. I accepted the love and help from others because we let me we need other people. Mm -hmm. We are not alone. And if I were to say that I did this on my own or move forward but it's not true. I had an army of people that I may or may not accepted at you know in the beginning but then eventually I did full of love full of good vibes and supporting me and eventually my husband too and when we decided it was time we got pregnant right away which was a blessing but I don't ever take for granted like I said at the beginning because in the journey of healing and support groups and talking to people about losses you realize that not that other people go through worse or it's not about degrees, right? It's not about comparing anybody. But when you start talking and you realize stories and when you hear stories and you start counting your blessings, I realized that, yes, we may have been to hell, right? We, it was painful. We lost a child, but we never had trouble conceiving. A lot of couples had the trouble and now they had to go through the ones that had the courage, right, to try again. Now they had to be wondering, will I, will I have to go through these challenges again? We were blessed that we didn't. So um, when I got pregnant, it was almost two years after. And that's when my husband was ready. And I think I was ready a little earlier than him just because it's my body like I knew my body so I have been taking care of myself so well that I knew that that part of my physical part of it I knew I could handle it it was emotional but then for him it was emotional but also my physical because he almost lost me I didn't know I didn't get to experience that what was that like 
then you know we we got pregnant and it was about i remember it was december of 20 2015 and my son was born at 37 weeks because my doctor would not take a risk right so it was a scheduled c-section and he was born on september 8th 2016 and that's i found that that was the day of the i think virgin mary in many like in many religions mm. that's the official day of the virgin mary which i found to be very awesome yeah and his name is mateo i picked the name but it's a very shallow story because i used to watch this show called velvet it was from Spain. It was a fashion show about about fashion in the sixties, mm-hmm. and there is this character called Ma- Mateo, which was very charismatic and handsome guy. And I thought, oh, I want my Mateo to be like him, and that's how I picked the name. But then the day after he was born, someone sent me the actual meaning of the name because believe it or not, I didn't I didn't even look that up. The meaning of Mateo's name is gift from God. Mm. And I was like, wow, I could have not picked a better name. Yeah, it's perfect. And then his middle name is Miguel, which is Michael in English. And I also, through my spiritual journey, I've had many messages from Archangel Michael. That's why I picked that name. I intentionally picked the name to honor Archangel Michael. Can you share why you chose Santiago's name? I know that there was a significance in that as well. Yes. So Santiago's name, we went to Santiago de Compostela in Spain about maybe 2011, a few years ago. And we were really moved by what they call the Camino de Santiago, which is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. And people do the spiritual journey for all kinds of reasons. We were very inspired by it. And when we got pregnant, I just thought I wanted a biblical name. I grew up Catholic. So I just, this is what I knew. And I just thought it was nice to have that name. And... I just liked how it was pronounced in Spanish as well as in English. And actually, Santiago, just so you know, people out there, uh, it's St. James. Mm. If you Google that, St. James is that like the translation. I know it has not, not much to do with it uh, phonetic, uh, phonetically, but <laughs> that's what the translation is. Yeah, so we picked the name after our trip to Spain, and we were really moved by the that pilgrimage and just... I don't know, it's just uh, what that allowed people to heal. And at the time, you know, we never thought that we were going to have to go through our own Camino. And that's, it's not, not a coincidence, you know. It just, it was as if the angels were watching over, you know, we were protected. But that's why, that's how we picked the name. Oh, it's really beautiful. Thank you. But it was the scariest thing we ever done after. Um, it was a blessing at the same time. So it was like, it was a duality, right? We live in duality. So it's like, I can say now, when I'm with my son, he's three. He just turned three. And when I look at him, his eyes, and when I have interactions, and, you know, we sleep together, and it's just, it's heaven. Mm-hmm. It's heaven. And I'm like, wow, 
this is my gift from God and I remember that and I'm very mindful about everything I do and say in front of him because I know it affects him and I know that he at once was a dream that felt that fell very far away from happening and today I get the honor to be his mom I think on a soul level this may be a little sounds maybe not familiar with many people but I just feel that we choose our parents that's what I believe and I think he very much chose me to be his mom and my husband to be his father and I Mateo is is a very he brings so much light into mm -hmm. any and I'm just I'm not just saying that because it's my son but I've seen it um, everywhere he goes he's just full of light and hope and and I know our story touched so many people and even at the hospital when we gave birth I can tell you that it's been two years since you know the incident and it was a revolving door of nurses asking permission to come in and say hello because they wanted to let me know that they were at my surgery when I almost died and they wanted to let us know that that night they went home thinking about us and praying for us I mean, at least three nurses showed up at Mateo's birth. Of course, they asked permission for it, and they said that they pray for us and that for us to be healthy and to possibly have another child or, you know, just recover from overall experience. And that, I thought that was so... And it, and it felt very real. And I know many of my friends and people that I know who knows me, and, you know, I know that they have expressed how much my story or my, my situation have helped them cope with anything mm -hmm. because it's about being resilient and one friend I remember saying that oh you know you're doing this grief with so much grace mm -hmm. and I don't think I ever considered myself to be a graceful person you know like that's a, that's a very strong word that I associate that word with saints right with nuns or like people of higher spiritual level but I said no you know I accept it I am I am grace I am graceful and and so that's what I have changed the way I look at myself and accepted the fact that I am light and I can do so much more for others by sharing my story for example than than going to India and feed the poor kid. You know, like, we don't have to really... I mean, yeah, it's nice to do donations and to do all of that, but we can be the change we want to see. Like Gandhi said, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. Just be, just, just show up to yourself. Own your story and don't be ever ashamed. So I think that's my two cents of my wisdom, you know, my insights that I got from all of this. Let go of who you think you should be. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, that's just, it's a, it's a delusion. We are perfect the way we are. We're, we are enough by just being ourselves. And I think that um, the whole experience of losing a child brings you back to the present moment. That you have to be really grateful because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Anybody can die, anybody, I mean, anything. I never thought, Michelle, that 
I was gonna lose my first child. I never that never ever crossed my mind. But yet, we worry about so many things mm -hmm. that may not even happen. And the one thing that is gonna shake us the most is the one that we never it never crossed our minds. So worrying is a waste of energy, and that's really what I think I. My takeaway from all of this is like, just try to be in connection with your present moment because that's all we have. You're right. You're right. It's really, that is a wonderful pearl of wisdom. It truly is. And I think too, when you're walking through such extreme grief, you realize what's really important and what's not. So many things that our culture deems is important, at least for myself now, they just aren't. They aren't. It's connection with those you love and not things. You can't ever replace those that you love. And I want to thank you for this opportunity to share this story because I know that there are so many stories out there. I know there are so many people that have been through probably things that are worse or, again, it's not about being better or worse, but just things that have really shaken them and just know that they're not alone. You're not alone. If you're listening and you've been through any loss, baby or parents or anything, you know, any pets, it's just... Grieving is something that could be very lonely. I think as a society, we need to know how to express that. And I think that what you do for, for moms is amazing because you give them an opportunity to share their thoughts, their feelings, and, and that's huge. That's how we can connect to each other and share our stories and take the judgment away of... yes. It's just feel accepted, feel, I just feel the love. And I am so humble that, and grateful that you asked me to be here in your, in your show. And if we can touch one heart, right? Like one person get inspired right. or that's it. That's, that's, I'm a happy, I'm a happy camper. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think the best gift that you can give someone that is in the middle of grieving is just to hold space for them and not have any expectations and don't try to fix them. Don't view them as broken. If you have the tenacity and the love and the capacity just to sit with their grief and listen to them talk about their experience or the person that they love, that they lost, That's the greatest gift that you can give anybody, I think. I think so. And one thing that I can share, mm -hmm. so, something so simple as if you don't know what to say, because it happened to me before. When I heard of someone that had lost a baby, I had no idea how to connect to that right back then. Now I do know. But you can simply say, I don't know what to say, <laughs> but I love you. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. People think that they have to come up with the right words or or maybe right word or nothing. Or maybe mm -hmm. they don't call you for like months. Right. But then that person may need someone. And there are moments that, yes, you want to be alone. 
But there are other moments that you feel like people are avoiding you. And that is the worst feeling, right? And Yeah, yeah. And so just, I encourage, if you're listening and you don't know what to say to someone that have just lost a baby or going through really uh, something really bad, you can just say that. Just as simple as, I don't know what to say, but I love you. Yeah. And I'm here. Yeah. And just following their lead. And maybe they want you to hold them and maybe they don't. And you can follow their body language and give them space to talk when they're ready. And then just listen. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to say anything. Just listen and acknowledge their feelings. So do you have anything else that you'd like to share? One more pearl of wisdom? You have a lot. (laughs) Thank you. I say that we just need to allow ourselves to be kind to ourselves. Yes. And that I never understood what what that means until I had to go through this. And I say to everyone that I just took a shortcut. (laughs) Because some people, when I talk to them and they're older, they're like, wait a minute, I'm like 50. And now, how do you come up with that? such an early well this is what I've been through and then I share my story and I say I feel like I took a shortcut that's how I see my my tragedy but you can find beauty in tragedy as well and I just think that really being kind to yourself there is no right or wrong in feeling we avoid the negative feelings because they don't feel good obviously but they're part of our journey they're part of our healing and if we suppress those feelings they're gonna come up they're gonna show up over and over it's like mm-hmm. a wheel like the karma wheel right it's gonna um, unless we just become aware of the pattern and we break it and and then there is hope that we don't have to feel pain or or suffer because suffering happens i think when you are in one place and wanting to be somewhere else yes that's very (sighs) very wise yes so that's those are my two cents i mean i don't have things figured out i don't i still struggle with certain things and when i see certain things that just bother me but this is an everyday work inner work you cannot change anybody, but you can change yourself. And we do change. We have that capacity. People may say, well, that's the way I am, or that's my personality, and that's what you believe, or that you grew up believing that. That's a limiting belief, but let me tell you that we do change. And, you know, if you look at yourself 10 years ago and, and how you used to think, you're going to you're going to realize you're not near the person that that person that you don't have those thoughts anymore. You don't do certain things the way. So that's just proof that we change all the time. So then it's a matter of taking control of how do I want to change? What what is the direction that I want to take? Because you are the pilot of this journey called life. You know, you are and you have that power. We just don't we're afraid of that power. Just like we're afraid of the light. But we are light, and it's too almost too late. You're on this journey, so just might as well do the best and show up. Yeah. 
So thank you, Michelle, for this space. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being here and sharing so openly. I appreciate it more than I can ever say. I feel it. <laughs> so thank you all for joining us and listening to Nydia's wisdom and honoring her sweet boy, Santiago. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode helpful and it provided you some comfort or insights. For a list of bereavement resources or to connect with me for grief support, please visit my website at birthyservices.com backslash loss-support. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Birthies Loss Support. If you would like to help to support me in this work to hold space for grieving families, one of the simplest and best ways is to please follow, rate, review, and share, and share again this podcast. And please be kind, compassionate, and patient with yourself as you walk this journey of grief, remembrance, and renewed hope. Remember, there is no right way to grieve the loss of your baby or your loved one.